Good morning. Nice morning this morning that we can come and be assembled together. We've got some visiting with us. We're thrilled that you are are here. We have some that are away. We want to keep them in our, our prayers. I want to go ahead and pull up this uh, title here. Are you married to Christ or just dating? Now, I ran that title by a couple of people this week, and I got the same response from both of them. Ooh. <laughs> so, um, I don't know if that just kind of intimidating or what, but we do want to think about that uh, and give consideration to that this, that, that this morning. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, the Apostle Paul speaks of marriage, the marriage relationship. And we understand from the scriptures that marriage is a covenant relationship. But in this particular section, Paul says that he is speaking about Christ and the church. And so we're going to talk about dating versus marriage. We're going to talk about the bride of Christ and then the body of Christ because those are the metaphors that the Apostle Paul uses there. I'm just going to go ahead and pull up that first point, dating versus marriage. In that section, Paul does specifically say that he's talking about Christ in the church. And many of the time I've probably preached lessons, you've probably heard lessons that have been preached in regards to the husband and the wife relationship. And how the husband is to sacrifice for his wife and the wife is to reverence her husband. And we oftentimes talk about that particular section. There's probably no other section of scripture that is more often quoted in regards to marriage than Ephesians 5. Probably just as much as Genesis 2 is quoted. And the two shall become one flesh. And actually, that's mentioned in this section here. And so a lot of times we think Ephesians 5 and immediately we go to the husband-wife relationship. But in reality, what Paul is saying, I'm using the husband-wife relationship as an illustration in regards to Christ and the church. He says that about verse 32. Before we take a closer look at Ephesians 5, though, we just partook of the Lord's Supper. And so I want to kind of remind you quickly as we start to take a look at Ephesians 5. In 1 Corinthians 11, a passage that we oftentimes read from whenever we're getting ready to partake, Paul will say... I delivered to you that which I received. And then he'll talk about how on that night which the Lord was betrayed, how he took bread and he said, this is my body which is given for you. And then afterwards he took the cup and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. And then Paul talks about as often as you do this, we do this and remember him. And we proclaim the Lord's death Till he comes. His body, his blood, given for us, that sacrifice on our behalf, and we remember, but yet we proclaim his death till he comes. We also see the hope in that. So as we gather around the table, we reflect on what Christ has done for us, we remember how we became sons and daughters of God through Christ by faith. And then sometimes, as Paul said, let a man examine himself. 
And so we reflect and we're renewed and we're encouraged because of what he has done for us. And sometimes we recalibrate, don't we? We think about that from week to week. And we think, am I living as I should, doing all that I should be doing in regards to my relationship with Jesus Christ? That's really the motivation in regards to this lesson, for us to think about that. Are we dating or are we married? Ephesians 5 and verse 32, Paul says, this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Mystery, just something that has to be revealed. So what Paul is saying is thinking about the marriage relationship, husband and wife, helps to give you insight to the relationship between you and Jesus Christ, between Christ and his church. And so we think, well, what's the similarities here? And Paul will go on in just a moment to talk about the bride and the body of Christ. Those metaphors to help us to understand that relationship even further. But let me ask you, thinking back to when maybe you were younger, maybe high school, maybe college, whatever that was, and you're dating someone, or you saw somebody dating someone, and maybe you asked the question, or maybe the question was asked about you. Oh, I see you guys are dating. Are you serious? And you say, no, we're just dating. So there's no real commitment here. It's kind of that trial period. I'm kind of keeping my options open. And so, no, we're just dating. And that's okay. That's dating. But I want to suggest to you, Paul is not talking about dating. (laughs) He's talking about marriage. And in marriage, there is a covenant relationship. There is a devotion. There is a commitment. There is sacrifice. There is security. Both committed. And there's joy. So there's ups, there's downs. There's pain, but there's joy. Some have even taken the marriage relationship and kind of broken it down into three categories and said there is companionship. There is intimacy, and what they're talking about is there is that sharing in that relationship. There are the ups and the downs that you go through together. And then there is that joy. In that relationship. In marriage, as some have suggested, that when you say the I do's, you just burn the bridges. <laughs> now, I want to give you a couple of illustrations from the Old Testament Exodus, the 14th chapter, and then over in Joshua, the fourth chapter. Do you recall in Exodus when God had sent Moses to deliver the children of Israel from Egyptian bondage and they came to the Red Sea? And then he parted that sea and the children of Israel marched over on dry ground and got to the other side. And then after they were on the other side, what happened? 
The Red Sea closed. You're now on this side. It's you. And it's God. And there's a divider. And that was the former life. But now you're here. 40 years in the wilderness. And finally, they come to the Jordan. Joshua, the fourth chapter. And the priest step carrying the ark in the Jordan. And it backs up the waters. And the children of Israel march over. And then after the priests come out, and then the Jordan resumes. It's flood stage. There's no going back. You're in Gilgal now. You're in the land. That was your life. Now this is your life. Now it's the two of you together. Now it's Israel. And now it's God. So let me suggest to you from Zechariah, the second chapter. Because in Hebrews 5, Paul talks about the husband and the wife, but then he says, I'm talking about Christ and the church. So there's the husband, there's the wife, there's the groom, there's the bride, so to speak. In Zechariah, the second chapter, as God speaks about Israel through the prophet Zechariah, he says, you are the apple of my eye. You're the one. (laughs) I got my eye on you. You're the apple of my eye. Israel was his people. This is whom I chose. And they were supposed to choose him. Remember that? Sinai? All that God has said, we will do. And they entered into that covenant. There was life before, but now there's this life. They said, we're in. I will be your God. You'll be my people. I'm yours. You're mine. Does that sound like a marriage? Sounds like a marriage, doesn't it? Fully devoted, sacrificing, serving, time, energy, money, all in. Dating's over. <laughs> this is a covenant. We're married. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, about verse 25, is where Paul says that husbands should sacrifice, give themselves as Christ gave himself for the church. Do you notice then in verse 31 is where he then quotes from the Old Testament, Genesis 2, and he says, the two shall become one flesh. Immediately thereafter, verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak about Christ and the church. Who are the two that become one? What he's talking about is Christ and the church become one. (laughs) Now there is companionship. 
Now there is intimacy. There is that sharing. And now there is that joy that comes from this relationship. So let me ask you this question. Verse 33. And I forgot to tell Mark to read that. I told him verse 32. I cut short. (laughs) So I'll read it now. Verse 33, Ephesians chapter 5. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects, reverences her husband. So what's the goal of the husband? What's his ambitions? And the wife might reverence, might respect him. Luke the 19th chapter, verse 10. It says about Jesus, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. That's the goal. That's his program. And is his wife, the church going to respect that, reverence that, support that? That's the question. Married? Or just dating? Let me tell you a little something about religion in America. Society can have a great deal of influence on the Lord's people. We've been studying the Old Testament. (laughs) Is there ever a time when society didn't have an influence on God's people? Repeatedly, they did. So even now, today, as you think about the Lord's people, there was a survey that was done. This is... Kind of religion in general, though. There was a survey that was done that suggests that out of all the people in this country claiming to be Christian, there's probably at least 15 to 20 million of them that say that they have no real commitment to a local congregation. So the survey went on to ask about that. Why is it? You don't have any real firm commitment to a local church. It also suggested that 80% of quote-unquote evangelical churches have either plateaued or are declining in this country. And so when they were asked, there were many of them that said, I don't really see the relevance of being a part of a local congregation. Think about that. I don't see the relevance of being a part of a local congregation. Others that were surveyed said, church is boring. Now, I don't think anybody from Platte City was in that category, okay? (laughs) It's not relevant, and I kind of find it boring. And then others said, well, you know, there's hypocrites. That always comes up, doesn't it? And then some said, ah, they're just after your money. That's all they're after. And then some said they had been hurt by a local congregation. And now they were really hesitant to once again re-engage. Well, as you stop and you give consideration to that, you'd have to say, in reality, a lot of those things are true. 
I think it's true that a lot of people fail to see the relevance of being a part of a local congregation. And that's so sometimes, not really understanding, and for other reasons, I would say this. The Bible is not boring. Are there boring teachers? <laughs> Careful. <laughs> there can be. Yes. But this is not boring. Read the story. It's exciting. And then, are there any hypocrites in the church? Well, yeah. Are churches ever after money? Yeah. And have some people been hurt? Yeah. Let's stop and think for just a moment. When people say, I don't see the relevance. You know what the work of the church is? The work of the church is evangelism. Take the gospel to the world. The good news of Jesus Christ. And some people fail to see the relevance of that. The work of the church is edification. That we might encourage one another and build each other up in the faith. And the work of the church is benevolence. And so sometimes people not understanding God's word and God's system and God's program, they fail to see the relevance. And I understand that. And I would just say, well, they just need some more teaching. <laughs> Luke 19 and verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. The local church it's where God, Christ, Holy Spirit, salvation, love, encouragement, edification, pray for, support one another. Those kind of things are taught. Just recently we're studying 2 Samuel, right? And God's people go out to battle. And the enemies have divided their forces. And so God's people have to divide to fight them. And what do they say to one another? If your enemy is too strong for you, call us and we will come help. If the enemy is too strong for us, we will call you and you come help. Isn't that what we're saying? <laughs> do God's people face any enemies now? And so sometimes do you feel like the enemy is too strong and there's somebody you'd like to call on? <laughs> Absolutely. Is there relevance in being a part of a local congregation? Absolutely. It is salvation and it is support. But sometimes people fail to understand that. That doesn't mean there's something deficient with God or Christ, the Holy Spirit or his program. <laughs> They've just failed to be taught as they needed to be taught. Shortcomings of men do not change God or his son or the Holy Spirit or the church as it was designed. The design is perfect. Sometimes we fail to implement it as it should be. Marriage by design is perfect. Do men and women sometimes fail in the program? That doesn't mean that God has designed something that's not perfect. 
We just haven't been the best at carrying it out. So we have to stop and think. Are you married? (laughs) Or are you just dating? So secondly, the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5 and verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Verse 30, For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. There's two metaphors that Paul uses in this section. That is the bride, and then he talks about the body. So we can further understand his church. Word pictures, analogies to help us grasp. But first he talks about the bride. And this whole context is about marriage. But it's a model for the relationship between Christ and the church. Jesus wholeheartedly, unconditionally, sacrificially loves his bride. Anybody deny that? No, I don't think so, right? So let me give you this illustration. Done a few weddings over the years. There's always that moment in every wedding when the bride comes walking down the aisle, right? The song plays, everyone stands, all eyes are on the bride. This is her moment to shine, so to speak. And the groom is standing there. And you know what I often do during that moment? I just kind of sneak a peek. At the groom. And a lot of times, they're standing there with this big grin on their face. (laughs) Sometimes there's a little tear. Sometimes there's a smile and a tear. All at the same time. But there's no doubt you see that love for that bride that's walking down the aisle. And she's walking towards the one that has captured her heart. Coming there to give herself to him. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself. A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And Paul says, I'm talking about Christ and the church. He sacrificed for her that he might present her to himself. Washed, cleansed, without blemish. His glorious church. His glorious bride. And so we understand the intensity, the love that Christ has for his bride. 
John Stott in his commentary on Ephesians, the message of Ephesians. He said, what really stands out is the sacrificial steadfastness of the heavenly bridegroom's covenant love for his bride. Sacrificial steadfastness of the heavenly bridegroom's covenant love for his bride. Steadfastness. Once again, I draw your attention to the Old Testament with God and Israel. Take a look at Exodus, the 34th chapter, about verse 6 sometimes. God gives a description of himself. One of the adjectives that he uses, it says that he is steadfast or he is faithful, as some translations render it there in verse 6. Faithful. Hebrew word, emit. It's the same concept, the same idea the psalmist uses when he says, God is my rock. I can count on him. That's what God was saying to Israel. This is who I am. This is who you've entered into a covenant relationship with. If there's ever a failure in this relationship, you can be absolutely confident it will not be on his side (laughs) if the relationship breaks down. It's on our side. And that's why he's saying. So we kind of have to stop and we have to, as Stott does in his commentary, kind of ponder that and meditate on that. You, me, all that have been called out by the Spirit through the Word, sanctified, washed in His blood, His bride. In Psalms, the first chapter in about verse 2, talking about the man of God, and it says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law He meditates day and night. In this kind of fast-paced age that we now live in, do you have time? <laughs> you got to make time to sit down and read and then meditate, <laughs> ponder, think about God's Word. That's what he's saying. And sometimes I think The reason why people fail to see the relevancy of, for instance, the local church. Have you ever really just stopped and thought about the local church and how you would relate to it and how it relates to you and what this all means and why God designed it this way? Or have you just thought, glad this is over. (laughs) It's like I got to get on to the next thing. And oftentimes that's kind of the way we approach religion and our relationship. You know what that's like? That's kind of like dating, isn't it? (laughs) If you keep me entertained, we may try this again. (laughs) But if you don't, (laughs) I'm out of here. But this is a marriage. This is a commitment. And he wants us to stick around. And he wants us to think about and ponder his word. I want to read to you from Matthew, the 13th chapter. 
passage that's familiar with most of us because of the parable of the sower. I'm going to begin at verse 19 though. Matthew 13 at verse 19. Jesus is giving an explanation. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately he receives it with joy. Yet, he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word, understands it, and he who indeed bears fruit and produces. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Notice what I say. It's that word. And how was it received? And was it understood? Or did Satan immediately come and try to snatch it away? I don't want you to stop and think about this. You may come to see the relevance of this. You may come to understand how this applies to you. And you know what will happen if you do all that? It may actually produce fruit in you. And then it will produce fruit outside of you. You may actually end up sharing this with somebody else. And he doesn't want that to happen. And so we ponder and we think about. I'll share a passage with you from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah the 31st chapter. Israel's thinking about going to Egypt looking for help against their enemies. And God is saying, don't do that. You need to look to me. So in Isaiah, the 31st chapter in verse 4, he says, For thus the Lord has spoken to me, as the lion or the young lion growls over his prey. And what he is saying is that context. This is the way God looks over you. So think about that a moment. A lion or a young lion goes out and it gets prey. And then it drags it over to a certain spot and then then it starts to enjoy what it has. And you've probably seen this on one of those National Geographic or whatever. And that lion lays there and he's got paws on either side. Now just try coming up and getting close to that and snatching that out of there. And you know what that lion will do? First of all, he'll send a little warning, right? He's going to growl. And what God is saying to Israel, I'm just like that. And you're mine. And I'm telling you, Look to me, because I growl 
But you know what else is interesting about that? That's exactly the same word that is used in Psalms 1. When it talks about the man of God meditating on God's word day and night. Take that word. Protect it. Ponder it. Think about it. Growl a little bit if somebody tries to take it away from you. And see, that was the problem in the parable of the sower. The seed gets sown and Satan, he wants to snatch it away. And what God is saying, no, you need to hold on to this. You need to protect this. You need to growl about this if you have to because it's relevant and it's important to you and you need to hang on to it. So in Ephesians 5, when Paul's saying, husbands, love your wives, and then he says, like Christ. And then in the about, about verse 32, he says, this is a great mystery, but I'm speaking about Christ and the church. He's saying, you need to stop. You need to think about this and ponder <coughs> that relationship. And what he's saying is, if you understand Christ's love, then you can't date Jesus. And if you understand Christ's love, you can't date his church either. If you understand Christ's love, you come to love what he loves and what he was willing to sacrifice for. Now back to the rest of that survey. Can it be boring sometimes? Okay, I'll give you that one. <laughs> can there be hypocrites in the church? Yeah, there can be. Can people sometimes get hurt and not want to re-engage? Yeah, that happens. But let me ask you this question. What did Jesus die for? That's what he died for. So what it's saying is, I'm a work in progress. <laughs> you are too. And so is Platt City. It's a work in progress. Right? But that's the bride that Jesus was willing to die for. In Ephesians 5 and verse 30 is where he makes reference to the church as his, as his body. So Paul kind of changes the imagery. And so one, first of all, the church is his bride, and then secondly, the body. And what that suggests is that as his body, then we have an assignment. Just like Jesus worked through his body physically, he now works through his body, the church. And so you think about the time when Jesus walked the face of this earth. And he was kind of limited physically. Geographically. Confined to an area. But when he sent the Spirit. And the Spirit's a part of his body. Now he can go everywhere. And that's what he was saying in Acts 1 that we talked about. 
you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the utmost parts of the earth. My spirit in you, you're going to go everywhere. Acts 8 is coming up next, right? And we'll talk about that. But in Ephesians 1, if you back up in the same book, verse 22 and 23, Christ is head over all things to the church, which is his body. And that's an easy illustration once again for us. We understand. My hand moves and makes all these gestures because my head says so. I heard a preacher say one time, he said, you know, the very first time I ever saw a video of myself preaching, he said, I thought to myself, what in the world is that? <laughs> I'd probably be doing the same thing. It's like, but your body moves, your hands move. Your feet moves. You speak because the head tells it to. And that's what Paul's talking about. And he expands on that over 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, about verses 15 through 18. And he makes some interesting points there. That how the body has many members, but there's just one spirit. There's one head. And that if one member of the body says to another member, you're not important, (laughs) you can't do that. Because all the members are important. Or if one member says, I'm the foot and not the hand, therefore I don't want to be a part of the body, (laughs) he said, you can't do that. Because God has set each one in the body as He pleases. And so we are to take our place in that body and serve accordingly, according to our talents and our abilities. And to function as His body, because He's the head. So Christians have an assignment. Because we're the body of Christ. So as we think about this, as we ponder this, marriage is companionship. And marriage is intimacy. We share the ups, the downs, the trials, the challenges. But we share the joy. And there's a common purpose. And Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. And the wife should reverence her husband. And Paul says, this is a great mystery, but I speak in regards to Christ and the church. And so the body is to reverence, to respect the husband, the head, and to share in and to engage in that program. Hebrews, the 10th chapter, about verse 24 and 25, passages that we oftentimes quote, give you a little different reading. It says, Let us be concerned for one another 
in order to promote love and good works. Not staying away from our meetings, as some have a tendency to do, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Don't forsake coming together. Consider one another. Promote love and good works. For the church to be all that God wants it to be, each member has to be all that God wants them to be and be connected and care and share and support and pray in the burdens, in the joys. We're not dating. We're married. And it's up to us to make the marriage work. That's what Paul is saying. That's it for uh, are we uh, dating or are we married? Ephesians 5th chapter. I want to extend the invitation this morning, though, to any and all that are here. If you've never rendered obedience under the gospel of Jesus Christ, He is the one who sacrificed, who died for you. And He wants you to be a part of His body. Jesus said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. If you're a child of God and not as been as faithful to that covenant relationship as you need to be, and you want to make it right with Him today, we want to help you in any way we can. While together we stand and while we sing.